Hallelujah. Get your Bibles open to Habakkuk. I want to do a January message this morning tonight about expectations for 2015. I talked a little bit last night and, and I've always done uh, things at the beginning of the year to try to, to have goals to, we're, that we're looking for. But I want to make it simple this year. I still want you to write down your goals, personal goals, and all those things that you want to do. But this year, I haven't felt the push like I normally do to do that. Although I am going to talk about expectations tonight and make and writing things down and expecting and seeing what you want. But more than anything this year, I, I believe that if we will do something, somebody asked me recently, I don't remember who it was or what it was for. But somebody asked me, and it doesn't matter, it'll come around in a minute. But someone asked me what. I think it might have been Dylan. What uh, the most important thing? Well, yeah, when you preached that mess, I think you asked me what the most important thing for the church was, right? Is that what it was? The most, the job of the church. And, and, and I feel like this is what God wants for this year, for 2015. The, the simplicity of our goals, personally and corporately, should be to know Him and to make Him known. So that this year we would draw closer to him in every area of our lives. And as we do that, we make him known as a church and as a, as a people, individually and corporately. And as we do that, I believe that every other goal that you place on that goal of your sheet for 2015, physically, mentally, financially, maritally, family, all those things, business, all those things will happen and come to pass because you will be focused on knowing the Lord greater and making him known to everybody. So that's what's been in my spirit. And so I want to read in Habakkuk chapter 2. And if you didn't get the message this morning or you're in nursery or whatever, please get online and listen to it. I believe it will encourage you because we have to understand that there are delays sometimes. And we have to learn to wait on the Lord. And that's what the message was this morning. And going off of that, we have to understand that we work and we do and we, we put forth the effort. And we know that just like Paul said, God is the one who brings the increase. We can't get discouraged and think, well, nothing's happening or I'm not seeing what I want to see. If we do what we're supposed to do, God will do what he is supposed to do and what he wants to do. And so Habakkuk chapter 2 has always been something powerful for the ministry of the church. As you read in verses 1 to 4, read with me. I will stand my watch and set myself, verse 1 of Habakkuk chapter 2, on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me. And what I will answer when I am corrected. And the Lord answered me and said, and this has to do with expectations and goals and writing down what you want to see God do in your life and in the church's life this year. He says, write the vision. Write the vision. And he says, make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. Now, there's a lot of individual details that come along with goals and expectations. But for example, just to make it simple, our expectations and goals as a church and our vision as a church is right there in those three things. Now, there's a lot of stuff that goes into that, but that's our vision. Evangelism, discipleship and planting churches. So, again, there's many, many tangibles to that. But how many? Know that's pretty plain. That's not 15 things you have to remember. It's not 30 things or even 10 things. It's, it's, the, it's, it's the gospel, Matthew 28, that we would go out and preach the gospel and then we would disciple those that get saved and then we would multiply ourselves through plantings of churches, which we're doing right now. Amen. The church in Garland is starting. Amen. They had 25 or 20 last week and, and, and uh, very soon the church in San Antonio. 
We'll be starting. And we're planting churches all around the world. Our churches are planting in Africa. They're planting in Costa Rica. And and that's our vision and our job is to do that. But individually, we make this plane and write it down so that somebody around us could get there and read it and run with it. Amen? Not have to interpret it. But run with it. Now look at three. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. Meaning, if we were believing for something we already had, it wouldn't be a goal. The appointed time is God's going to fulfill your goals and your visions when he wants to. Sometimes you put a goal at the beginning of a year for a year and you won't see it for two years. Sometimes you'll never see it because I said this morning there's yes, there's no, and there's maybe so. Amen. How many have seen that with God? Or there's yes, there's no, and there's not yet. Or not right now. Or I'm not going to give you an answer. And he wants us to continue to seek and to look. And so we have to understand that. I remember when we bought our house four or five years, I think four years ago, it was not even a goal for us to buy our house. But that year I had a bunch of goals down that were the, that were the Lord's goals and they were kingdom business goals. And I wasn't even thinking about buying a house. And all of a sudden it's April and we're buying a house. But that, that's what means knowing him and making him known. That if you'll focus on the kingdom of God, how many have seen in your walk with the Lord, when you focus on the kingdom of God, God brings forth everything else you need. He takes care of everything else that you sometimes don't even know you need or don't even know you desire. Amen. And he'll give you the desires of your heart. And when you're least expecting it, that blessing and that provision will come. So the vision is yet for an appointed time, verse 3, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Here we go from this morning, though it tarries. What does it say? Wait for it. Now we know that's not the fun part. Because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Verse 4, behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him. Watch this, but the just shall live by his faith. So if you're taking notes tonight, just write down expectations for 2015. I want to give you a couple of stories tonight that you can think about. And I really want you to focus, as I said this morning, from this morning's message leading into tonight. Though it tarries, wait for it. You can be sure, I can be sure tonight, that that word Pastor Andrews gave me in our church this morning is going to come to pass. Because as as long as I continue to do what God wants me to do and I'm supposed to do, God's word is going to be fulfilled. It doesn't always happen when we want it. Amen. I said that this morning. It's not a mic- He's not a microwave God. And if you're believing for something great, listen to this. If you're believing for something great with God, he's going to ask you to do something you cannot do in your own power. It's always going to be greater. If he's asking you, if you feel like God is asking you to do something for him that you can do in your own talent and your own power, it's not God. Because God's always going to stretch you. If you feel like God's asking you to do something that seems impossible, guess what? That's probably God. Because he's always going to stretch you and ask you to believe for something that seems impossible. Amen? And so we have to have the faith that says there at the end to wait for it. And as we have, as we're waiting for it, we're trusting, like I said this morning, and we're believing with faith, amen, that what we're believing for is going to come. And I don't know about you, but I, I, I put this, I think, on media last night uh, when I began my, my night watch, amen. I said, all I care about in 2015 is that souls would get saved and that people would know Jesus. I'm not saying that to sound pretty. That's just really all I care about. 
The rest will come. God will take care of my food. He'll take care of my needs. But that's just really all I care about. And if I can just get some more people around here in this building right here to just grab on and jump on board with me on that. And all we'd care about is souls and people knowing Jesus. Not only would we see a revival, we'd see miracles, signs and wonders and things we've never seen before because we're doing God's will. Amen. And we're putting forth his purpose. And all the rest comes, Matthew 6, 33 says. As we seek him first. So if we could just get excited about seeing a revival, God will move. David Glass was the CEO of Walmart from 1988 to 2000. And back in 1962, he heard that a guy named Sam Walton, anybody ever heard of him? Was about to hold his grand opening for his second store in Harrison, Missouri. Sorry, Arkansas. Glass, who was running a successful drugstore chain in Missouri, decided to attend Sam Walton's grand opening. When he saw, sorry, what he saw did not impress him. He said when he got there, Walton had dumped a truckload of watermelons in the front parking lot. He had a bunch of donkeys in the parking lot for the kids to ride. The temperature on the asphalt was about 115 degrees. Watermelons started exploding from the heat. And of course, the donkeys did what donkeys do. Looking back on that day, David Glass recalled the parking lot was a mess and inside the new store was also a mess. He said, I thought Sam Walton was a nice fellow, but I wrote him off. It was the worst store operation I've ever seen. Well, 25 years later, David Glass was working for Sam Walton as president of of Walmart and had become the most of what had become the most successful chain of stores in the world. Glass explained, watch this and relate this to yourself. Glass explained there was something inside of Sam Walton that made him improve every day. If you you are a believer, you should be trying to improve your walk with God every day. And it says he was not a man who set up impossible ideals, but he was a man who always aimed for a goal. So this year we have to aim for a goal. And listen, you cannot miss when your goal is souls. Let me say that again. You cannot miss when your goal is souls. You can't miss God's provision. You can't miss God's blessing. You can't miss God's love and his compassion and his help when souls are at the forefront of your mind. Amen. You think about that verse five again. I'll just read it one more time. Oh, sorry, look at verse 5. I mean 3, the one I read about the waiting. Though it tarries, wait for it. How many have ever heard of Rockefeller? Remember that name? Rockefeller was the first billionaire. Let me tell you something about Rockefeller. Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty only comes to poverty. Now, how many know that God wants us to be diligent about souls? He wants us to be diligent about the kingdom business. Some of you are new in the Lord and you're learning that this isn't religion. If you've been in this church very long, you're learning that this is maybe a little different than the church you grew up in or a church you've been to. Because we're trying to be kingdom business like. We're trying to think about what God would think about. This is not a social status thing. This is not showing up to say I win on Sunday morning. There's an expectation that we would be great for God. 
There's an expectation that one day all the doors of this church would be open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and ministry would be going on, and lives would be changed, and there'd be so many ministries that nobody wasn't being reached because people are standing up and saying, I want to do something for God. I want to be diligent about this call. I want to understand that what I'm doing here on earth is temporary, but what I'm working for is eternal. One of these days that'll click into you and you'll understand very well that yes, you have to go to work and yes, you have to do normal things. But the underlying purpose of waking up every morning is that Jesus would be known and made known to other people. That would become your reason for getting up in the morning. People are depressed all over the world today and they don't have a reason to get up. It's because they don't understand that God is their father and he has a plan for them and he wants to use their life, not just on Sundays, not just just on Christmas, not just on Easter, but every day, every place, everywhere that they would make themselves available. That's what God wants to do. He wants to bring forth a revival. Amen. And this Rockefeller, the first billionaire, was the first person, watch this, to reach the status of billionaire and was a man who was known to set goals and try to follow through. At the age of 23, anybody close to the age of 23 here besides me? Don't laugh so hard. At the age of 23, Rockefeller had become a millionaire. By the age of 50, he was a billionaire. Every decision, attitude, and relationship he had was tailored to create power and wealth. Now, this isn't about money. This is the idea behind the, the, the diligence that these men I'm talking about had. Three year, watch this. Three years later, remember at 53 years old, most people don't know this, Rockefeller became very ill. At 53. Now, it would be great to be a a billionaire. I don't think anybody in here would say, nah, I don't really want that. I think anybody would take that. And at 53 and becoming a billionaire, when people have a lot of money, they realize really quick a very sad truth. Money cannot buy health. There are people around this world today who are dying of cancer, dying of terminal illnesses, and it doesn't matter how much they pay the best doctors in the world, they cannot buy healing. They cannot buy health. They cannot buy what they really would like to use that money for. The, the, the story says his entire body became racked with pain. He lost all the hair on his head and in complete agony, he, he, uh, the world's only billionaire at that time realized, you know, that today, I don't know how many there are. There's a whole bunch of billionaires. At that time, he was the only billionaire on the face of the earth. He could buy anything he wanted. Just think about that for a second. He could buy anything he wanted. But he could only digest milk and crackers. Hmm. He can buy lobster and a good steak, but he can't eat it because he's sick. An associate wrote he could not sleep, would not smile, and nothing in life meant anything to him. His personal, highly skilled physicians predicted he would die within a year. This is at the age of 53. That year passed agonizingly slow. As he approached death, he awoke one morning with the vague remembrances of a dream. He could barely recall the dream, but he knew it had something to do with not being able to take any of his successes with him 
into, the, into eternity. The man who controlled the business world suddenly realized he was not in control of his own life. Think about that. The man who controlled the business world all of a sudden realizes, I can't control my own life. He was left with the choice. He called his attorneys, his accountants, his managers, and announced that he wanted to channel all his assets to hospitals, research, and mission work. And on that day, John Rockefeller established a foundation. The new direction of this foundation eventually, listen, led to the discovery of penicillin, cures for current strains of malaria, tuberculosis, and diphtheria. Guess what? When he made that decision to put God first, the story says Rockefeller, remember he was 53, lived to be 97 years old and died pretty much of old age in his sleep as a God-fearing, church-attending Christian who gave over $530 million away. Amen. What, what, what is it that happens You might say, well, what does it have to do with me? None of us have two pennies to rub together in this place. We're not billionaires. That's not the point of the money. It's the fact that he realized that his life was more than this earth. That there was an eternal thing he could do that was greater than any wealth. Listen, you might not be a billionaire here tonight in your finances, but you might be a billionaire in your abilities and in your talents and in your faith and in your love, and in your compassion. And you can turn that over to God tonight, and you can say, Lord, if you can use anything, you can use me. And God can take your life, and he can turn you into a Rockefeller, spiritually. And you can leave a legacy for God. Luke 14, 28 and 30, you don't have to look at it for time, but I'll read it. It says this, and many of you know the, the verses. For which of you, intending to build a tower... Does not sit down first and count the cost. I said that this morning. One of the things that I would, if I could go back and fix something in my ministry over the years, I would go back and I would do better at letting people know that serving Jesus is not easy. That getting saved is more than a prayer that you pop up to the air and just say, I I believe in Jesus. Amen. Amen. It's hard to serve God. It's hard to do right. It's hard to live the the life that God asks you to live. And he said that to him. If you don't believe that, then you need to get back to Discipleship 101. And you need to go read the teachings of Jesus. He was a hard teacher. And he said, this isn't easy. He said, if you don't eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You can't be a part of this. And, and, And many people would turn away from Jesus. It wasn't because he didn't want people to follow him. He wanted people to understand that he gave everything for us. And in return, he expects us to understand that he did not die on a cross for us to show up on a Sunday morning and put a religious cross over our shoulders and put a Bible under our hands and claim that we're a member of some denomination. He's died for us so that we would be soul winners, a soul winning agency, a church of Jesus Christ that understands and loves the blood that he shed on that cross. So that others would not want to sign up for a membership too, but they would want to give their lives. That's the difference. The church world today would say, here's a membership card. Sign up and become a member of our church. Jesus says, no, here's my life. Here's your life. Give it to me. That's really what being a disciple is. 
is laying down your life. He said, if any person will not pick up their cross and deny themselves and follow me, you're not worthy. Amen. Y'all with me? So he says, don't don't get into this if you don't first count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it. Unless after he has laid the foundation, verse 29, is not able to finish. And all who see it begin to mock him, saying this man began to build and was not able to finish. You know what the greatest hypocrisy and problem is today is Christians who don't finish the race. People who who change their lives for a moment. People who get saved for a season. And those that are watching their lives are waiting for them to go back to their old lives. They're waiting for them to go back and see that it's just a season. It's just a phase. It's really not real. I've told you many times before, when I was saved, I had a a best friend that we partied together and did a lot of bad things together. And when I got saved, he said, this is just a phase you're going through. Well, this phase that I'm going through has been 22 years. And I'm never going to go back to the one I was before. And unfortunately, that same best friend today, if you saw his Facebook picture, he looks like death warmed over. Sad to say. He looks like a, like a bone. Dry bones. Dead. He's a, he's, a, he's a drug addict. He's lost. I, it wasn't a phase for me. People are watching your life. He says, don't get into this if you're not going to finish. And you say, well, how do I do that? Well, that's God will help you finish. But the attitude is, I'm, I'm taking this serious. This isn't, just, this isn't just religion for me. This isn't just a Sunday morning, get up and feel good thing for me. And that's what makes us, I'm not trying to make us better. I'm saying that there's a church that's different. There's a church that's a remnant church that, again, is just not showing up to be a social club. It understands that it can make an impact in a city. That a city can be changed by the actions of the believers in a church. Four men used to meet together each week in Memphis. One man was a service station owner. Another one was a salesman for a wholesale appliance company. And one was an assistant treasurer of a large corporation. And one was a teacher. These men shared with each other their longings, desires, and plans. And they decided to set goals and share these with each other. And the service station owner set a goal to be making 50000 a year within five years. The wholesale appliance salesman set a goal to be making 25000 a year within the next five years. And the teacher set a goal to be teaching in one of the greatest educational institutions in America within five years. Finally, the assistant treasurer said he was going to do the best he could, but he was not going to set a specific goal. Within five years, the service station owner was making in excess of 50000 a year. Today, he would be worth over $1 million. Within four years, the wholesale appliance salesman was making 25000 a year. Today, he's a wealthy man. In two years and ten months, the teacher was offered the best teaching job in his field in the United States. Yet the assistant treasurer is still working at the same job in the same circumstance that he was the day the goals were not set. Aim determines direction. This is not a financial message. This is a message of understanding that this really comes down to your crown. If you don't set goals to, sit, to be used by God, listen, remember my words. One day you might, you might slide safe into heaven with dust flying everywhere and get there. But you're going to be wishing you'd have done something for God. 
You're going to be wishing you to spend a little more time sharing your faith, wishing you'd have done a little more sharing of the gospel and preaching and doing all these things. And I'm not saying that to condemn you. I'm saying why I'm saying this. Because if you just sit back and say, well, I'm saved and, I, and, I, and I'm just going to make sure I get there, that's not the attitude and that's not the reason God saved you. God did not save you to save yourself. He saved you that you would save others. He saved you that you would multiply yourself. So Habakkuk 2 says, write the vision down and make it plain on tables. We don't use, sorry, on tablets. And what's funny is that was written thousands of years ago. And today we actually have tablets. So we've come back around. That he may run who reads it. I finish with this. Two important principles to setting goals. I've been talking about the first one, the whole message. Keep God first. It's not rocket science. Keep God first and he will keep you first. I really believe that the blessings and the provision and the, and the things that God has for us go first to those who have him first. He takes care of those who are keeping him first. His focus, he loves everybody, but his focus is on those whose focus is on him. And so the first thing would be that you'd keep God first. Psalms 37, uh, 4. Let me read that real quick. I think I read, what, did I read Psalm 37 this morning? Which verses? Somebody got in their notes? 1 through 4? Wow, the Holy Spirit's amazing. I didn't even know I was going to read this again. 37, 4. And delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Which in the New, new, King, new, new, new Testament is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Number two, keep your priorities straight. Keep your priorities straight. Take care of the God things first and then Worry about your personal desires. But what I've found in my life of experience, short or long as it is, is when I'm keeping God first, the second one just automatically takes care of itself. It really, has anybody else seen that in your life? Doesn't mean it's always perfect. Doesn't mean everything works out exactly like I want. But in general, I see that when I'm keeping God first, you know, when we sacrifice like we do and we give like we do and we work like we do and you come from work and you go to breakaway and you stay after service for Spanish and you come to help the youth and you come to clean the church and you come to an outreach and you come to do all these different things. You're not wasting your time. You're investing in the kingdom of God. And if you haven't been wasting your time on any of those things in 2014, it's time to start wasting your time on those things in 2015. It's time to start getting involved in some of these ministries. Don't sit around on a Friday or a Saturday night or some night during the week and just fiddle your thumbs. Amen. Do something that's going to last. Do something that's eternal. That's something you're going to look back on and say, oh man, I sure am glad I did that. Listen, I can make a promise to you that you can take to the bank in cash tomorrow. Not one person is ever going to stand in God's presence and be sorry they sacrificed anything on this earth for him. Nothing you give to the Lord will be in vain. If God, if parents are good rewarders, how much more is God? How much more is God? 
Proverbs 24, 27 says, prepare your outside work, make it fit for yourself in the field, and then afterward build your house. That's exactly what I was talking about. Take care of the priorities and the necessities first, and then build your house. We all have personal desires, personal, that have nothing to do with the church, family, home things, personal desires, personal things we want, and there's nothing wrong with that. But if you will put God's house and kingdom first, he will, again, bring things around to you that you're not even looking for. I promise you that. He will take care of your needs. He will meet everything you need if you keep your priorities straight. Amen? So number one is keep God first, and number two is keep your priorities straight. As the musicians come tonight, I want to read the story again tonight that I read this morning. I actually used this story from tonight's message this morning, but I know many were in Sunday school. Many were uh, uh, not here. Many were um, not able to listen to us. I want to, I want to read it again. And you might hear it again. and might get a different angle on it. But it, it talks about finishing and keeping our eyes on the goal. Okay? The goal tonight is souls. We all, we, all, we all agree with me to that tonight? That there's nothing more important than that? That this year we would draw closer to God, and as we draw closer to God, we would want to win souls? And we would want to tell people about Jesus? I promise you, one of these days in heaven, you're going to come up to me and you're going to thank me for pushing you so much to win souls. You're going to say, thank you for encouraging me. I'm so glad you did. If you wouldn't have preached those messages and been on my nerves all the time telling me about souls, if you wouldn't have been trying to make me uncomfortable so much, I wouldn't have a crown. I'm trying to help you get a crown. I'm trying to get a crown myself. Amen? I want to give something back to Jesus. I want to lay something at His feet. But you've got to understand that many times as we're working and we're doing and we're going and we're pushing, the devil's right there saying, nah, that's a waste of time. You're too busy. You've got, you got to take care of other things. You're lacking these different things over here. But many times in the Bible, I see in the Gospels where Jesus said, put me first. Remember what he said to that rich man? Turned away. He says, how do I be good? And Jesus begins to name off the commandments. And the guy says, I've done all those. So Jesus says, let me hit you where it hurts. Not because I don't want you to follow me, but I want to see if you really want to follow me. He says, go sell everything you have. And he was rich. See, if he told a lot of us to go sell everything we have, it wouldn't be a problem. It wouldn't take too long. Like, all right, Jesus, I'll be back tomorrow. I'm going to have a garage sale, right? But if you were rich and you had a lot of possessions, you might have to think about it. And maybe for you it wouldn't be a possession. Maybe it wouldn't be something financial or material. But there's something in you that sometimes you don't want to give to God. And so this year, you're going to have to sacrifice something there that you love to really see God move the way he wants to move. But along the way, we got to keep our eyes on the prize. Remember that Philippians 4.13, Paul said, I press toward the goal. We're talking about expectations for 2015 for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Paul knew in chains. That's why I said this morning, go, go watch that movie. Because it's hard, if you think it's hard to serve God free, try serving him in chains. Paul wrote two-thirds of the Bible in chains. And he said, I press toward the prize. I die daily. I think he was pretty dead already. But he wasn't dying to his situation. 
He was dying to his flesh. He was dying to his desires. He said, God, I'm yours. In 1952, a young Florence Chadwick, a lady who stepped into the waters of the Pacific Ocean off of Catalina Island, she was determined to swim to the shore of mainland California. She'd already been the first woman to swim the English Channel both ways. The weather was foggy and chilly. That would kept me out of the water right there. She could hardly see the boats accompanying her. She had some boats on both sides to make sure she got across. And still she swam for 15 hours. When she begged to be taken out of the water along the way, her mother sat in a boat right by her and said, Honey, you're close so you can make it. Finally, physically and emotionally exhausted, she stopped swimming and said, Get me out. As they pulled her out of the water into the boat, she realized when she got on the boat, the fog lifted. She was less than a half a mile from the shore. She was right there. She was within distance. What'd she do? She quit right before the promise came. What if Jesus comes back this year? What if this is it? What if today's it? What if tomorrow's it? What if this year's it? You gonna quit now? Or are you gonna finish strong? You're gonna say, well, I did. I mean, how horrible would that be? How disappointing for this woman is that? That she swam for 15 hours and needed to swim for 15 and a half. Now, I, I give her credit for the 15 hours, but what good does it do for a Christian to do well for a while and not finish? So I challenge you in 2015 to challenge yourself to finish strong to do things you didn't do last year that's the great thing about the mercies of the Lord is they're new this morning they're new every morning great is his faithfulness great is his faithfulness bow your heads tonight if you would she said as your heads are bowed and eyes are closed at the news conference after the swim she said all I could see was the fog all I could see was the fog. Tonight, the reason you might not be doing what God wants you to do, or the, the, the reason you might think you can't do what God wants you to do, is all you see is the problems around you. All you see is the lack. All you see is the fog. And she said, if, I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. And my prayer for you tonight is that you would get past the fog and the worry and the trouble and the doubt and the depression and the health problems and the unemployment and the financial uncertainty and the strained relationship and the loss of loved ones and anything else you can be going through and look at Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. He's up there cheering. The Bible says in Hebrews, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. They're cheering this last generation on and they're saying finish strong finish strong finish strong